I V M. Hello and welcome to the Geek Fruit Podcast. My name is Dinkar, and with me I have Jishnu. Say hi, Jishnu. Hello. All right. So, if you've been listening last week, like a diligent listener should be listening, you know that we are in the middle of talking about Christopher Nolan, the filmmaker and the mind fucker extraordinaire. <laughs> so, uh, last week we had Tejas and Janam on. I completely disagreed with everything they said, so I kicked them off, and I brought Jishnu on, my best friend instead. So, let me begin with. Yeah. I saw Christopher Nolan. Exactly <laughs> at Bridge Candy. We have a lot in front to of talk a Raymond about. store. So if I understand as correctly, as I was listening to last week's episode, tell me the host. Give me all the deets. I was Spare in a no cab. Deets. I was in a cab. I was listening to the episode that you did last week, mm-hmm. and I too was agreeing and not agreeing as one does. Right. And I look up for like half a second. I see a very well-groomed white man mm-hmm. standing on the side of the road, as one does of in Cam, uh, near Camps Corner in uh, South Bombay. It's a fancy area. It's a fancy area, and lo and behold, a Raymond store. What is in front of a Raymond store? A, a very well-dressed man in a suit, uh-huh. as tends to happen. Right. However, this man, not only because he was white, <laughs> not only because he was in a suit, not only because he had like angelic blonde hair, like you know, sort of right. parting like the heavens. Like he has a huge forehead. That guy. He does. No, yes. he has a massive forehead. It's an exceeding hairline. That, that widow, that widow's peak is like yeah. <laughs> is like an Everest peak. It's it's very pointy and very big. I think it's only gotten more amplified over the years. Over the years, yeah. And I could have sworn that was him. By which I mean, I swear that was him. Do you think the episode that uh, I did with uh, these guys with Tejas and Janam was just so evocative that it created the image of Christopher Nolan in front of you? I projected a Christopher Nolan? Possibly. Or, I mean, or hear me out on this one. What? Was it so evocative that Christopher Nolan himself came to Mumbai? Did you say Mumbai? Mumbai, yes. Okay. Uh, no, it's like, I, I swear, it was him and uh, another dude and another non-white dude. And the non-white dude seemed very excited, as one would be if you were showing around Christopher Nolan around the sights and sounds of Raymond Store in South Bombay. Why is he showing him the Raymond Store? I'm sure Christopher Nolan has at least. Have, wh- when is when have you ever seen Nolan not wearing a suit? Exactly. So therefore, so he's, do you think he's, he's just an like, suit collector and he heard about Raymonds and he was like the complete man? I've he can got to it. find yeah, this. Yeah, I'm sure. He, I'm sure it's within his budget. Uh, yeah, he yeah. could he could so, get like a fancy Raymond. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's my two cents. This you found Christopher Nolan on the streets. Check and outside your house. We're done with this show. I guess so. Roll the credits. Roll the credits. Did you, uh, as we said in the last episode, did you look out the window and scream, No, Lynn, no, Lynn. I fumbled for my phone, which is already in my hand. You know that moment when like, you're so spaced out because you're just in that vortex of looking at your phone and you forget that you're looking at your phone. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just in that loop, that time loop of freaking like, yeah, one one social thingy to the next social thingy to that email that I'm ignoring to that. You are ignoring my Yeah, I'm ignoring all of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I saw the I saw the guy. I I made a squeaky sound, probably. <laughs> like my a, my ears were plugged in. I probably made some sounds. Yeah. And uh, I tried to take a photo, and then we zoomed by, and I was like, no. And you didn't take a photo. Nolan. Oh lord. See. So you got no Nolan. Yeah. I don't get it, Jishnu. You, I, I told okay. you, you messaged I us instantly. I did, I did ask. I did, yes, I messaged you like within seconds. And I, yeah. I went on Twitter I, and I asked for corroboration from yes. the, the good people of the internet. And I said, hey guys. 
this is a thing. Please, somebody tell me that I'm not dreaming. I and also then, looked it up on the internet as soon as you said yeah, it. Yeah, I, I saw, I saw, new, I saw, no I saw nothing. I saw nothing. Yeah. Um, but the one corroboration I got was uh, from my friend Gaurav Jagwani, who tweeted like maybe 20 minutes later. He's like, hey, I was just there. There was nothing. There was no commotion. Okay. Which would lead you to believe that probably didn't happen. However, uh-huh. there was also no commotion when I saw him. Right. Which leads me to believe that there's a 95.9% chance. I saw chance. your tweet, Jishnu, and what? I believe someone replied to it saying. Saying no. No. Some, uh, Gaurav Jagwani yeah, replied saying there said. was no one there. Like someone else replied saying, yes, he's in town. What? And a smiley face. What? Yeah. Am I mind you right yes, now? Yes, because I was going to say that I was about I'm, to talk I'm, I'm myself out of sure. this. What? I'm pretty sure I saw that. What? Wait, let me find that. Did you find it? I am looking at your profile right now And what? you're right I only see Gaurav Jagwani's reply But Maybe the guy who answered Because I could have sworn I saw this tweet Someone saying Yes he's in town To your tweet I would have made I'm a bigger pre- thing I, about I think it you might happened. have seen Christopher Nothing, nothing came we will, we will investigate this <sighs> And report back But anyway Let's stop talking about Chance sightings of Nolan And talk about Chance sightings of his movies uh, We have some email From Tell one it. Vidhi Shah Tell it A frequent uh, Listener, I suppose. First time she's writing. In fact, she does say this is my first official fan mail. So just want to say big fan. That's a lie. Okay. Here's the thing. We hold the dude up to unreasonable standards. She's talking about Nolan now. I watched Dunkirk without knowing it was a Nolan film. And honestly, I loved it. Around the time the movie came out, I was really caught up with things and had been out of touch with pop culture. A friend of mine called and asked, I'm paraphrasing here. Friend of mine called and asked if we want to go watch Dunkirk. I knew nothing about the film, but I said, yes, anyway. I went there, I'm skimming, uh, loved the movie and went home quite impressed. And it was probably a late movie because I don't remember seeing the starting or ending credits. And I also don't remember looking it up, which yeah. I usually do. I'm, I'm suspect of her uh, sobriety on this viewing experience. You're the she, one, she can't remember You much. saw Jishnu, a phantom what? Christopher Nolan yes. on the street outside your house. She can't remember the beginning. Store. She can't remember the beginning or the end of this movie. Don't you dare what? accuse other people of being <laughs> unsober. What were you doing, may I ask? Listening to you well, talk about My voice Nolan. is kind of intoxicating. <laughs> it has been said. By some people. Dinks Army. Hashtag. Okay. Uh, next day, I was talking about how much I love the film. And I think it was... If Dink- you put Dinks Army before the hashtag, it's not a hashtag. It's like Dinks Army, then comma, hashtag. Like then Nolan, it's, then comma, it's Dinks Army playing tic-tac-toe. It's like Nolan, comma, Chris. Or Nolan, comma, Jonathan. Anyway. Next day, I was talking about how much I love the film. And I think it was Dinkar who said something about it being a Nolan film. Not gonna lie. I was, as the Nolan bros call it, mind because I hadn't guessed it already. In retrospect, it all made sense, what with the non-linear timeline, the haunting background score, and other Nolan-esque elements here and there. What I'm saying is, I didn't know it was a Nolan film, and I loved it. So, yeah. <laughs> she offers a... Well, there's more. There's like a tip I, I, she I felt, offers. I felt like momentum building there. Okay. Well, the, yeah, I, I feel like you I... Just, like, I misplaced my momentum because you interrupted. I should have... That should have been my denouement. Instead, it was the climax. Anyway, I found out it was an Nolan film only after I decided that I really liked the film and couldn't change my mind. So, first of all, mm-hmm. Vidisha is clearly a little anti-Nolan bro. Yes. Yes. As I, I mean, so are we all. Yeah. Mm. And she says, tip, try watching movies without knowing anything about them. You'll enjoy them more. But she does say terms and conditions and the terms and conditions is very important. Oh, you read I've, this email. Then why are you waiting for me to read it all out to just you? just want to see, because uh, I love this, your soothing voice. Intoxicating, um, I believe it's been called. 
that terms and conditions is very important because I've I've had massive wins and massive misses. I know what her terms and conditions are, but saying that watch a movie without knowing anything about it that's the Jishnu Guha method. No, trademark. It's not not at all. In is fact, it not? No, I like to know what I'm going in to see. I just don't like to see clips of it before. Jishnu, the fact. I think if it was up to you, you'd walk into movies blindfolded, no. not knowing no, 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 what no, no, the no, no, title no. of the movie it's is. A, that's a full fifty-fifty scene, man. I've <laughs> done that. I have done that several times, and it's not. I believe it's you not watched reliable. the Tree of Life like that. Yeah, and I walked the f out because they were like goddamn dinosaurs which i yeah, love but i want to know i'm going in for a dinosaur movie i thought i was going in for a nice i was there with my mom like it's a three-hour long movie she's mm-hmm. like hey let's go for a movie this week and i was like okay fine i'll do that and we went to the thingy to the the place where the movies happen what do you call it uh, the cinema yeah mm-hmm. and um there were posters and i looked at them one of them had brad pitt i was like he's a nice boy mm-hmm. and we sat down you don't impress me much 20 yeah. minutes later there's a dinosaur and i was like oh i was not prepared for this <laughs> and we left at the intermission because I was just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't prepare for this like high art stuff. You know, I, I need to know what I'm getting into right. to some extent. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see every trailer and every single, you know, Super Bowl 30 second spot and every five minute extended cut for whatever. The Fair hell. enough. So you want some detail, but you I don't want to know all what the, the movie details. is about. I don't want to see the movie before I go see the movie. You know what Would I mean? Would you say like basically just knowing the title, the director and the log line and the cast? That would be good. That would be, be nice. Maybe that's what all trailers should be. Just an email that lands up in your inbox saying like, hi, new movie, Christopher uh, Nolan. I mean, that is exactly what Netflix does. I suppose that's true. Like we every also, week I get a, hey, so this was happening this week on Netflix. Netflix also drops trailers. They do. But, but I can avoid those. Anyway, The Tree of Life, directed by Terence Malick, mm-hmm. who is a major influence on one Chris Nolan. Yeah. I'm bringing it back. Well done. Uh, so, let's start with Dunkirk, since yeah. Vidhi's brought it up. And since going by a non-linear timeline, since we start in the middle, we should now skip right to the end, before going back to the beginning. She's absolutely right. It uh, is quite an impressive film. It is. I did... As so far as his I hadn't watched watch it last week. I think it's one of his weakest, but... Mm-hmm. It's a good movie, not one that I would go back to watch again, yeah. because I kind of had a feeling about like 15, 20 minutes into it, knowing what the premise was. It's, you know, it's a telling, it's a retelling of a, of a true story. Um, since he clearly wasn't looking to uh, get as much into the psyche of his characters as he normally does within his mind-bending movies, mm-hmm. this one was just... Mind- f- I'm PC, man. Like, calm down, no, calm down. Late. Um, since he wasn't trying to like actively do the the, the mind effery as he does with his movies, and this one was just more about, I think, just executing uh, the narrative timeline story, in, yeah. a, in a in a fun way, which is mm-hmm. which which was really fun, and it's really cool when you the audience figures out, oh, I get it, and that's that's always very empowering when it's a really good example of show and not telling. Yeah. However, that being said, I mean, when a movie is that big and it's Nolan who has reached that level of superstardom, yeah. You're lucky if you don't know it's a Nolan film when you're watching That's it. That's true. You so, do watch it without the weight of expectations, especially Nolan expectations. Yeah. It, which there, are like, there's, how there's will things he, that I would love. How will he get meta this time and right, so on. Yeah, I would love, it's an idealistic idea, you know, to say that it would be great if you can go into all movies as blank as you could. But mm-hmm. one, considering this is our day, this is our, uh, I was going to say day job, this is our uh, afternoon gig. Our afternoon gig. It's our, it's our nooner. Yeah. Um, considering this is what we do and... Uh, obviously because that we have a pulse on pop culture and what's happening mm-hmm. I don't think that's ever going to be the case for us in particular mm-hmm. but for somebody else if you're lucky then yeah you know go you I think knowing a director especially is important because uh, while it's fair to say that you might sometimes enjoy a movie more if you're not weighing it down with expectations mm-hmm. from the people behind it mm-hmm. I think also we 
tend to, at least the way we consume pop culture, it's also about being fans of people. We're fanboys, right? At yeah. the end of the day. So, uh, watching Dunkirk as someone who's expecting something out of Nolan, mm-hmm. not the wrong approach to do it, which is what I yeah. did. Uh, I only watched it last week. I oh, right, in, for the first time ever, right? Yes, for the yeah. first time ever. I didn't watch it when it came out. It was last year. No, two years back. 2017 A good Which, year right Yes A of pretty course. damn good year I am right? sure it was the best year it ever was yes. <laughs> Alright uh, So yes I only watched Fun fact mm-hmm. That was the only movie that year That made like A bajillion dollars That was an original Script and not an adaptation Or Once sequel again, or anything I think Christopher Nolan Might be the only director Who can still pull that off Consistently He He's repeatedly Makes cons- original cons- properties Like basically yeah, Non-franchise yeah, stuff mm-hmm. And they so what, Dunkirk, Inception, Interstellar, all three of them, mm-hmm. he's become pretty consistent with this. He's what's never his, what's done... What's one? After this, mm-hmm. I will tell you, after this break. Welcome back to the Geek Fruit Podcast. We left at a pivotal moment and then took a break. Again, much like a Nolan movie. Uh, Jishnu had just asked me, what is Christopher Nolan's next? I will reveal now, Jishnu. It's called... Outside the Raymond Stowe, Kemp's Corner, a Christopher Nolan film. Oh. Yeah. When is, when is it set? <laughs> I'm lying, Jishnu. <laughs> it's called, according to IMDb, this you'll love, Untitled Christopher Nolan Project. <laughs> wow. Yep. What year? <laughs> 2020. Great. Oh, he's running for president. Oh, yeah. great. I see it. Exactly. I get it. Okay. That's his untitled Amazing. project. Yeah. He's running he, for he president was, of, of the India. He was campaigning. <laughs> That's what he was doing. Yes, of course. That one elected position that uh, people from that, the UK that can coveted, hold. That coveted, I mean, let's be real. Yeah, it's not impossible for you know the Commonwealth to come back and be like, hey, we're gonna. What did you think that could happen? So I thought Dunkirk was a really, really <laughs> strong movie. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I was surprised. I didn't watch it at the time it came out. Well, I missed my shot in theaters. I forget why. I was just busy at the time, I think. Hmm. And uh, I never got around to doing the whole like watch it online thing because it felt like a whole thing and everybody I'd talked to. Watching it online thing? What do you mean watching it As online? in like I, I didn't download it or stream it or anything. Okay. I, I don't think it's on any streaming platforms. Because I, so. I downloaded yeah. Yeah. a very legal copy, let's yes. just say for legal purposes. Anyway, mm-hmm. I downloaded it uh, last week and watched it and I was really impressed. In fact, I now regret not having caught it in theatres because visually, yeah, might be feel- his most stunning work to date. Absolutely. Quite a piece of work. Yeah. Even in terms of uh, just the feel of it, the moments he creates there mm-hmm. are really impeccable. Absolutely. I watched the first 15 minutes going like, is anyone going to say anything in this damn movie? Right. And they don't. They don't. For the most part. It's a great technical feat. If I recall what I said on the mm-hmm. episode we reviewed it for uh, I said pretty much that it's it's a very good movie it's, it's a very, a good, very movie, good movie for sure but uh, because of our own uh, biases or whatever you want to call it preconceived notions about mm-hmm. him and what I expect him to give me I was like oh I didn't get what I expected and I therefore it's I was also, not amused yeah. it, was the, it was the technical feat of you know, I think it's wow. mostly that the There's thing nobody talking about this that, movie that is score is amazing, but like, what's what do I care about these characters? No, I don't. Bec- exactly. Yeah. So this brings me to the fundamental well flaw of feature, depending on how you look at it, that mm-hmm. we discussed about Christopher Nolan last time as well. He's not great with characters. These the the four or five main cast in Dunkirk, mm-hmm. you could swap any of them for the other, and they're yeah. all kind of the same. Like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I couldn't name one of them to you. I know there's a Gibson who's the French guy pretending to be the English guy. And that's about it. I, I don't know who the who uh, Killian Murphy's character was who was rescued off the sea. Sure. 
I don't know who uh, Bandersnatch Boy was. They're oh, right. Bandersnatch, Bandersnatch Boy was in there. Even he barely says a thing. So it's not just that you don't know their names. There's nothing to them other than these are British soldiers and they're running away. Yeah. In fact, I was reading a review uh, that called Dunkirk in particular and Ants on the Ground movie, which is hmm. Christopher Nolan always takes this like wide-angle view of everything sure. goes like this is what happened to the British army, right? It's not about like right. the one guy. It's not like a Saving Private Ryan type situation. Yeah. But it's about a private called Ryan yeah. and the guys who go to save him. But, well, okay, but so if you look at this way, an, another amusing thing is that Dunkirk was the movie that knocked uh, Private Ryan off for the biggest biggest making for a World, World War II, II movie, movie, right? Yeah. So, great. Go go him. I think that's however, the Nolan effect. However, if you look at it, they both kind of did do a similar thing with their cinematography of um, that Normandy invasion and Private Ryan is one of the most iconic uh, war sequences I think ever it is sort of it's at least for that particular moment of history the Normandy invasion I think anybody and everybody immediately envisions the Saving Private Ryan scene it's yeah. kind of like cemented what that looked like in our head because Absolutely. that was one of the most brilliant uses of just single lens oneers yeah. that really shallow depth of field and just complete chaos and the chaos that like jittery sort of looking uh, frame rate it kind of created the Instagram filter yeah in my opinion much. that scene alone gave people a template for the Instagram filter correct Dunkirk did a similar thing in that it's even though it is IMAX cameras they mm-hmm. they created special rigs for them to allow them to do that handheld feel with right. the type of camera that normally has been used with even bigger rigs that you know are meant for jibbing and slides and very simple slick motion which allows the viewer the ability to like take in everything that is coming mm-hmm. at them in the frame however i think at least for me and uh, i think this is true for a lot of people i'm i'm not i don't think i'm the only one here that the private ryan's story mm-hmm. is a far better story exactly. thereby the story that will last with me cuz like right now if you hadn't told me just like a handful of character names or character and I'm telling People, you those because I've just seen it. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what the movie's about. I could tell exactly. you like it's about the war and the guys leave and they wait to be rescued. That's, somewhat, that's, about that's it. one thing that... So this movie feels kind of slight to me, definitely in the perspective of Nolan's career, but also in general as a war movie. It's I, I think that is a very conscious choice. This movie is just about an hour and a half long. I don't know if you it remember was that. that. Shot? Exactly, really? it's about maybe an hour forty or so. So wow. it's very fleet. It's very quick. And there wasn't much. There wasn't that much war in it. Exactly. Per se, right? There's there not a lot that like, happens really. Guns which, blazing, explosions, not exactly. Much. Be- probably because by definition, it's about one moment in a really long and drawn out war, it's and the, a ve- right at the start, about an evacuation. Right. So it's not an action war movie. It's really. about the painful waiting of like suspense of like exactly. when is it going to come. And, so probably uh, just because of the themes and the kind of stuff he's tackling. Maybe Maybe yeah. it's kind of intentional, but the thing is, at the end of it, you come off saying it's a really good way of telling the story of what happened in Dunkirk, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, I might as well read a newspaper article about it. I'm exaggerating, right. but yeah, yeah. you get my know, point. Yeah, I, it's I, not. I, I don't walk away with like life lessons or anything like that. I will say to his credit, though, even though it does sound like we're bashing the movie a little bit, it. I think he without question knew what he was doing and deliberately chose to make a movie that wasn't going to indulge exactly. in what what Private Ryan did so well which is tell you the story of these people so much so that you really emote and care about them deeply yeah. uh, and he just chose to sort of do a, a movie that was more about messing with the medium and how do you I think you guys mentioned this as well like he loves mm-hmm. to he loves to 
your mind? Your mind by flexing his muscles with messing with the medium as opposed to. Do you think that was necessary in Dunkirk? By the way, it took me uh, like it took me a minute to get what he was doing with his one week one because it right. doesn't even seem one week ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just goes like uh, the sky. That's a good one question. Week. That's a very good question. Was it necessary? Uh, yeah, because they were all three great stories, and I get the parallel narratives. I I don't see why it had yeah, to be split up kind of, in that way. You're right. That's kind of what I'm getting at. In that, like he he just I. I feel like I could be totally wrong. I'm shooting in the dark here. I have a feeling that he kind of had this idea to tell a story like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to have this linear timeline that I want to tell in this particular way. Like he's done it several times obviously, right. but he's like I want to see if I can get a point across by messing with it this way. Mm-hmm. Let me find an appropriate story for it that has a very simple beginning, middle and end and is all about just the tension of not knowing when something is going to come and what it is that's going to come but he's telling you the outset it when it's going to come which i think is odd no but what i mean is that he yeah you know it's you you know when it's going to come but you still as of you like you said you don't know you know your your hand from your butt when mm-hmm. it's happening you're just like where am i in this place yeah. which is i think his main agenda with this movie as opposed to telling you the story he's like can i can i tell a story rather than what story am i telling he didn't so guess too much some, about this story. i read like another review of it. i read a couple of reviews one of them which uh, i'm preempting some nolan bros coming at us mm. uh, but <laughs> basically the idea is apparently that you disorient the viewer by giving them multiple timelines mm-hmm. much like how a soldier on the ground would be disoriented and not yeah. know what's happening that's i mean yeah. it's reading a little too much yeah, if you ask yeah, me. I, I, I another interpretation was that uh, he tried to make all three aspects the land the sea and the air mm. equal because uh, if it was linear in time then the airplanes would only come in right at the right end, the end. Uh, mm. as opposed to being that throughout the movie sure. the way they are so sure. like that timeline being stretched is to basically give the same weightage as the guys on the ground who were there for a week which i'm a, i'm a little more willing to buy that but i don't know i just thought it was a centurion's plot <laughs> see what i did there yes very nice I'm going to pat myself now. Now, let's move on to another mind. Okay, are you done? That's not even you're not even patting yourself on the back just now. That's shoulder. your shoulder. So? Uh, it's the front of your shoulder that for the viewer. Okay, I'm going to skip on to somewhere near the beginning of Christopher Nolan's career. Mm-hmm. He created the movie The Prestige. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say create, yeah that's an odd way to phrase it but <laughs> then we cadence. are talking about Christopher Nolan here yeah, yeah. I'm all about messing uh, with the medium baby what about it he made it what did you think of it <laughs> I've never gone back to that movie no I had a good great time watching it I just feel like I've never been a Nolan bro I've always At all? I've I, I really oh my respect God, the, I cannot believe I, I mean, really respect the guy and I love the Dark Knight trilogy of right. course I've I've rewatched the Dark Knight and like several scenes in the Dark Knight an infinite number of times right uh but that being said, Nolan is not in my like top ten or anything like that. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Do you not enjoy his work other than The Dark Knights, The Darkest? I've never gone back to any of his movies besides The Dark Knights. Okay, leave yeah. the going back part aside because even I might be a little more skippy. Like I've seen stuff multiple I, times. I, sorry, for sure. I take that back. I have yeah. seen Inception like two or three times. I've seen Interstellar twice. Were you not in Inception, but, bro? Like we talked oh about God, last no, week? No, no, no. I was not, no? I was not in Inception. Did bro. it not blow your mind when it came it out? It was very cool. That's how I feel about Nolan. I was like, he makes really cool movies, mm. but they they just don't resonate with me because I, just, I maybe it's just, I maybe feel like there's too much going on. Boy. I feel like, yeah, maybe I'm a character's boy. Like my, my favorite movie arguably is a toss up between like an Amadeus and an Almost Famous, mm-hmm. which are as simple, you know, 
plot narrative and storytelling arc wise and there's like nothing also both music movies both yeah so that's mm-hmm. no coincidence but um uh yeah like you know I'm I don't I don't really have a good I don't have a good no, I, I, for you. I think <laughs> I am getting to understand my best friend a little bit more but uh Amadeus and Almost Famous in particular both very character driven movies like mm-hmm. Amadeus is pretty much entirely about two bros yep. uh who can't stand each other essentially yeah. And like it entirely well, depends on it's, it's actually about one bro who's like, "Hey, you're my best friend." And the other and guy's the other like, "No, actually, like, I want to kill you." I hate you. And he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah, <laughs> so but it entirely depends on your depiction of Mozart and Salieri. And uh almost you're, you're famous. You're such a you're such a Mozart. I'm a Mozart? Yeah. Well, thank you. But that means I'm going to kill you. I know. <laughs> uh anyway. You you are also making it canon that we're best friends. No. I'm making it canon that you think we're best friends. Okay. Fair, <laughs> right? Huh. Right. Oh uh, my, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up, it, I'm gonna end up, you know, in, in a wheelchair and in, in, in an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. But you'll be dead, so it's okay. Almost famous. Yeah. Also completely based on characters. I yes. mean, it depends. There's very little plot if you think about it that happens in Almost Famous, which is like a Cameron Crowe hallmark. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot that happens. Essentially, kid has no. to write an article, doesn't end up writing the article, then he writes the article. Then it gets published. Whatever. It's yeah. ostensibly about the kid. But you come off uh, thinking about everyone else in that movie because yeah. they're so well sketched. Completely. Particularly Penny. Yeah. Who is all, the all, love of my life. Yes. Yeah. All side characters in those movies are absolutely delightful. So is this uh, why you find it hard with, to go back to Nolan? Uh, because he's his people aren't that it. memorable. What was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Gordon name in Inception? Hell if I know. I don't know. I know Leo was Don Cobb. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I always have a good time with it, but it, it just never... Um, maybe it's just too heavy-handed. I think that might be it. Yes. He, I might be willing to agree with you there. In I'll, fact, I am agreeing with you there. You know what? Let me... Can, can, I, can, I, put it like, can I put it like this? Uh, when I was listening to the, the last week's episode, I was thinking about, for some reason, every time, uh, often, more often than not, uh, whenever we, we, you guys were deep diving into like some aspect of why he makes certain films the way he does his decision making mm-hmm. trying to break that down I was always thinking of Tarantino mm-hmm. and I feel like Tarantino and Nolan in my head kind of are polar opposites yet very similar at the same time and that they're both auteurs that are incredibly stark with their style and incredibly distinct and you can tell the movies a mile away mm-hmm. um, yet both of them I think are some have some of the best dialogue in film um but Tarantino's more consistent with it because Tarantino, yeah. even though he's like over the top, grotesque, violent, everything preceding the insane amounts of blood, mm-hmm. or every word that's spoken is impeccable. Uh, Nolan, on the other hand, a lot more inconsistent, but when he hits, like for instance, the Joker and Batman interrogation yeah. scene, freaking flawless scene as far as Absolutely. I'm concerned. Like down to the last frame, that's a flawless scene in my head. Uh, but... Even though they're so heavy-handed, equally heavy-handed, I've just gravitated towards Tarantino because I feel like he really milks those characters. Even though he also messes with timelines, he also do- goes he over does. the top with productions in like getting bigger and bolder with just, in his case, blood for the most part. Uh, Nolan gets bigger with... I think Tarantino's uh, I know, also like, gotten more kinds of- ambitious over time, right? Uh, like... 
he does mess around a lot with the format again because like we've discussed before on this podcast this generation of filmmakers your tarantinos and nolans and stuff are building off what uh, they're standing on the shoulder of giants who kind right. of set the template for storytelling so obviously the next generation is going to try and address that by fracturing that evolve it in some yeah, way yeah evolve it in some mm-hmm. way and this is how they evolved it so yeah. like this is a generation that's grown up on cinema that's yeah. making cinema right so tarantino's entire thing is i mean like the fact that he was a video store clerk who just like watched a ton of movies and then started making his own you can see see that but the characters and dialogue i think way more than nolan i don't think nolan other than the dark knight trilogy yeah. is that strong with his dialogue he builds great moments yeah. which are how so, does he build his great moments what do you think is his i think a lot of it method. is the way the stories are told with visually you mean uh, is he more of a visual storyteller than an oral storyteller i feel like tarantino's far even though tarantino's his visuals, ab- yeah. his visual uh, uh, vocabulary is amazing and that's mm-hmm. what you can tell it right away almost like a Wes Anderson in that like you look at a frame and it's like oh that's Tarantino yeah frame. exactly uh, but I think his dialogue is his is, that's his absolutely his dialogue like and his, his characters man like yeah. from Pulp Fiction a yeah. completely messed up timeline that's yeah. not even like it's a way more messy timeline than uh, a memento which you think yeah, about totally. uh, if you think about it I mean uh, because it's kind of like some things are longer than you think they are some right. things are he's shorter more, he's more sloppy with it it's a sandwich timeline it's a sloppy yeah. Joe timeline as opposed to a hairpin like memento you've seen Django yeah same deal it's just like exactly I don't know why he needed to do these weird timelines but it it is effective in that by the time these characters that I've spent time with dispart like who are separate from each other who mm-hmm. I never know would meet when they do meet it's cool because it pays off because like oh great yeah i didn't expect them to you know or i didn't imagine this could have happened and that i've never really felt that with a nolan film when he messes with timelines and i see these people coming together even though like dunkirk is literally all about all about well, let's wait until yeah. this happens and you know, it's like but what? the but, characters man like tarantino's characters aren't realistic <laughs> But they're yeah. larger than life and they're memorable. Like you but remember the Django, you remember things. Candy, you remember like a Vince Vega. Right. They just stick out. You remember Bruce Willis, whose name I forget. So what is Nolan's thing? If Tarantino is dialogue, what mm-hmm. what is Nolan's? I I all I have to say is all I have to offer is using the camera more so than anything else, which I, sounds which sounds trivial, but it's a hell of a lot harder than okay. Harder than we're going to take a break, and I will explain my theory to you and tell me if it makes sense. Welcome back to the Geek Fruit Podcast. We are now delving into the mind of one Christopher Nolan, which I don't know someone must have uh, mind f***ed him at some point, I'm sure. Uh, but we're trying to figure out what makes a Nolan movie tick, right? And uh, you were asking me what his thing was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I kind of talked about this last episode, mm-hmm. but uh, let's you and I explore it, which is that I think all his movies tend to be about making movies in the first place and kind of like stop there it's not about the people in the movie so i brought this out by comparing him to charlie kaufman okay uh and i suppose tarantino is also a fair comparison uh these guys use fracture timelines and like all sorts of narrative devices to bring out story or character whereas nolan uses them to bring out plot devices does this make sense he's using editing as his thing kind of yeah and how do i like what order do i put these frames in and when i juxtapose these two together what does that tell you rather than these two characters sitting at a table and having a conversation which tarantino kills at mm-hmm. nolan is more about look at image of this dude look at image of that dude you didn't think they were together and, but yeah. what if i put them right back to back and then you see a similarity exactly and, and then, then he uses that as a way to comment on 
how stories are told in the first place. So right. he's kind of, I guess why a lot of people connect a lot to him is because he makes you, like he kind of forces you to think by making you do some work, but mm-hmm. not too much work. Mm-hmm. And then you basically sit back and go like, wow, I think Nolan's really smart and I'm really smart because Nolan's really smart <laughs> and I get it. Uh, so, Like, have you ever seen this theory about Inception, which basically says that the entirety of Inception is a metaphor for making movies. Like okay. uh, the architect is like the scriptwriter, and uh, uh, Cobb is like the director, and so on. You know, and like someone else is like the cinematographer, and like whatever, blah blah. There's okay. like a there's a really detailed. It's probably some like Reddit breakdown that some guy did. Uh, but yeah, basically, that's pretty talk peak about, Nolan, bro. Yeah, it's yeah. peak Nolan, bro. Okay. But uh, I believe all his movies, to some extent, are about this. Like with Memento, it's actually a fairly straightforward. Like cop thriller kind of movie If you mm-hmm. think about it If you put it into I believe there is a linear cut Which I haven't ever watched uh, But it might have been Like a DVD extra or something But I feel like If you watch it It's a pretty standard story Which only really works Because of the way it's told And I feel yeah. like That's his thing he, His thing is Let me mess with He likes giving craft. you puzzles Yeah And I think what what's, what he does Excellently Which is Not done as often as Enough Or not, as, or not given enough um, Onus enough Is Letting the audience think for themselves. Mm-hmm. Because since people aren't talking that much, or at least the dialogue in his movies aren't as impactful as they could be, in, not you know, to say that he never does it, obviously. But um, since that's not the case, I think he just lets the story play out in its own weird way. And it's a great empowering feeling when you go to a movie and you mm-hmm. realize, oh, I get it. That's a great, that's a very good feeling to leave the theater with. When you go like, I got that. And I know that if I wasn't paying attention, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So you kind of feel like... You feel like... You, you feel rewarded. Yeah, you yeah, feel like you've it's, it's, earned it's a something good, Like, remember that feeling um, at the end of um, Villeneuve's arrival? Mm-hmm. Right? Like that... I've seen that a couple of times now. And every time, it's just... It's such yeah. a... It's a, I always pick it up, like, a little bit earlier every time. Because mm-hmm. I wait, like, a, at least six months every time I see it. So that mm-hmm. I kind of forget most of it. But, like, he is excellent at that. Yeah. And if you look at... Uh, just to come back to Tarantino again, if you look at the ending of uh, Dark Knight Rises, which you guys talked about, mm-hmm. um, that's like a what good six, seven minutes of dialogueless just montage, montage right? Yeah. With the Zimmer score, which sort of crescendos and that sort of takes you to the climax and that it yeah. tells you how the story ends. And you guys said, you know, you love the fact that, I think they just said he loves the fact that it gives you some sense of closure to Batman. Ending for yeah. Batman? Yeah. yeah, which is a rarity, very rare. He chose to do that with a six, seven minute edit mm-hmm. where there's no dialogue and it's just like look at this picture look at this picture see how these people are just it's a it's a whole bunch of like the city is in ruins or cities at at war and you know the chaos of all that yeah cut next to morbid looking dark gloomy people who are just like standing in a corner by a window staring out into nothing mm-hmm. which is very noir right yeah. and there's nothing to be said there but you it's just all implied and it's uh it's not the most subtle implication because it's quite a big epic moment but yeah. at the same time Compare the feeling of viewing that to the ending of, say, a Django, which is also uh, maybe like a two, three minute montage after, uh, what's his name? Jamie Foxx's character goes into the mansion, mm-hmm. kills everybody, huge, giant, flaming inferno. And it's very simple, you know, like the guy shows up, action sequence, guns blazing for like five minutes, a lot of bullets flying, a lot of blood, a lot of dust and debris. But there's nothing said there. But he keeps it super short. And then like the few words that are said there are just like some sort of like 
yeah, motherfucker, we win. <laughs> I get revenge. Hooray. Yeah. And it's really cool because it's, you know, it's fun and it's, that is what you would imagine the guy would do when he finally, you know, defeats his slave owners and he gets mm-hmm. his freedom, gets the girl, rides away on the horse, looks like a badass, dressed like a pirate, la la la. So it's just like, he's chosen, Tarantino chooses a very different, uh, type of type joy of to, yeah. to embrace and no one's more like this I want to sit back in my uh, big armchair and like stroke my chin while I revel in the fact that yeah I get this I like and that phrase just like, yeah, I, I like brought just, up just, earlier you know. of he's an ants on the ground kind of filmmaker yeah. so uh, whereas a Tarantino or a Kaufman would kind of put the microscope on the ants not the magnifying glass mm-hmm. they wouldn't burn them they would put a microscope on them to understand what the ants are doing. Mm-hmm. Nolan would divert the ants and go like, now let's see what happens let's to these guys. Let's see what these ants are making. Let's see what mm-hmm. these ants are making. Look at these leaves, <laughs> mm, how they move. Mm. Like, look at uh, the, I don't know why we're talking so much about Tarantino. There's clearly another episode to do here. But uh, the car scene in Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. is what, five minutes of aimless conversation? They yeah. talk about quarter pounders with cheese and mm-hmm. basically like, what is a burger called in yeah. France or whatever. yeah. yeah. I could never imagine anything that pointless in a Nolan movie. Yeah, because it's five minutes to dig into these guys and just like love five them. minutes? I could f*** those five minutes up right now. Yeah. The third minute is the first minute and the second minute is the fourth minute. Right. Now let's talk. Yeah, it's just like, if you begin with Royale with cheese and you end with, <laughs> say what again? <laughs> right. How okay, so, anyway, uh, yeah. This is why uh, I'm not I, I think uh, that's what uh, <clears throat> Nolan's thing is. Like, his... His movies are so well constructed that mm-hmm. when you reach a big moment, yeah. it's because of the way the story has been told as much as it is about the story itself. So outside of The Dark Knight, which I think is a bit of an exception, which we'll it discuss is. in part three of this series, I suppose, <laughs> uh, where the dialogue and the characters are really strong, but yeah. also they kind of came to him and he interpreted them. Right. And The Prestige, was, yeah, that's a which very is good, very character-based, yeah. but also based on an existing novel by oh, neither right. of the Nolans. And oh, I think Jonathan go. does this as well. Jonathan Nolan, the mm-hmm. bro, mm-hmm. who has the American accent, mm-hmm. as opposed to Christopher Nolan's British accent, mm-hmm. uh, is also a bit of a deconstructionist right Mm. so they're deconstructionists and the way they rearrange the puzzle is so good that when you reach a a pivotal moment Mm -hmm. whatever that character says and typically the dialogue is good but it wouldn't necessarily stick out the way quarter pounder with cheese would if you took away all the context I mean this is a weird way to look at movies I suppose but if you take everything around the movie out and look at Nolan dialogue Mm -hmm. it's pretty functional at the end yes. of the day it's really well written yes. functional stuff yeah, yeah. as opposed to like a Tarantino who writes it like he's writing freeform poetry yeah hmm. he writes prose he writes prose Tarantino writes straight up prose he has monologues man people like do Tarantino monologues for acting school yeah nobody's doing other than maybe like that Joker and Batman interrogation scene. You know, Again, nobody's really quoting like Nolan. You put the Joker and Batman in a locked room. But that's something be, but that's insane of, has because happened. Because it's the Joker and, like, and Nolan. Exactly. Uh, because it's Joker and Batman. Not so much Nolan. Exactly. It's the Joker and Batman. You've put them in an We've been quoting Joker situation. and Batman for years. And we exactly. Will for years to come. Uh, yeah, but we're not that quoting Nolan. Very movies. famous quote. Hi, excuse me. Why are you so serious, sir? I, I, the, the minute the Joker says it, I get chills. Or like when Batman says, like, excuse me, I'm the man who dresses like a bat. Heard of me? <laughs> he says that in the movie. Okay. Why Why do you not participate in my riffing, Jishnu? Like, I I go out on a limb, I make hilarious jokes, and you just look at me like you're so disappointed. Can we wrap this mother up, please? <laughs> We're going to wrap this mother up. I began this episode <laughs> thinking mm-hmm. yeah. we would delve into Interstellar and The Dark Knights. Yes. Which are four big movies of his, mm-hmm. which, in fact, are probably the most relevant to what we yep. talk about on a weekly basis. And you we've got to... Tease the people, leave them. We've got to tease waiting, them. We've only scratched the surface. 
Here's what I propose. Here's what I'm going to say in conclusion, so that you don't get to speak now. Uh-huh. Uh, is that I think uh, Nolan is basically an architect who makes the He's most incredible. He makes the most incredible, incredible films that are constructed because Ariadne beautifully. Because Ariadne was Ellen Page's character but in Inception. But there's nothing in those. And it kind of well, sounds not, like Ariana. There's nothing in those. So it's like Ariana Grande. The buildings are beautiful from the outside. What we're going to do is bring back Tejas and Janam. Imagine and living in that glass house. Of us. You know, glass houses, glass houses are beautiful. At the climax of this timeline, glass houses and are great to look at the from the outside, but on the inside, it's left. not that great. This because has you're been naked. the Geek Fruit Podcast. Tarantino movies are really See nice movies to live in. They're like to borrow from the Weasleys. Mm-hmm.